Welcome to the Podcast at the Hill. You are about to hear a message from Pastor Daniel Blaylock entitled, Growth Groups, from our series, Friends. Amen. If you have your Bible, I'm in Romans 15 this morning. What a great job our choir, orchestra, and praise team did leading us into the presence of God. Amen. 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 This group works so hard every week. I'm so thankful for that. We're the glad beneficiaries of that. Welcome our friends from Waterfront. Amen. It's the third Sunday. I love the third Sunday. Amen. Love it. Love it. Amen. Amen. Uh, I, I preach better when they're here. I wish they were here every week. Amen. Amen. Love them. Love them. Welcome, guys. We just feel like you're at home when you're here. I hope you do. Just part of us. Part of us. Our uh, Bible verse this morning, we're going to be looking at Romans 15, and we're continuing to talk today about friends. Say friends. Amen. Amen. Uh, I, I didn't do it, but uh, I almost told Chad I want us to sing the old Cheers theme today. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. Amen? Because we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Everybody ought to be part of a group where they know your name and they're glad to see you come. Amen? Amen. Now, I know there are some people who brighten the room just by leaving it. Amen? I hope you're not one of those. I hope you're one of those who brighten the room by walking into it. Amen? So, hope that's true for you. We're going to talk today about how every Christian needs a circle of friends, believing friends with whom they can do life and with whom they can deepen their walk with Jesus. Amen? So, we're going to talk about that. Our, our key verse for this whole series has been Proverbs 13 and 20. He who walks with the wise will become wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. One version says the companion of fools will suffer harm. Amen? So not only will you get in trouble by being a fool, the Bible says you'll get in trouble by hanging around a fool. Amen? Amen. How many of you know it's not just dangerous to be a fool, it's dangerous to be anywhere within 50 yards of one, right? Amen. If you've ever driven in Mobile, you know that to be right. Amen. It's just dangerous to be around some people. Amen. And the Bible warns us about that. This is our third week in the series. The first week we talked about uh, this idea of who our friends ought and ought not to be. Amen. A wise man once said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. For better or worse, we are the average of our five closest friendships. We become like what we hang around. We rise or fall by our relationships. Living the right life takes the right friends. Amen? And we talked the first week that sometimes what you need to do is unfriend some people. Amen? On Facebook, some of you have been unfriended before. Oh, the pain and the sting of being unfriended, right? One day you're friends, and the next day you click on their name, and you're not their friend anymore. Amen? Amen. That's, that's harsh. Uh, that's, that's how that goes sometimes. You know, sometimes the best thing you can do is to unfriend or at least unfollow some people. And I don't just mean on Facebook. <laughs> I mean in real life, sometimes you just have to allow the Lord to show some people the exit ramp of your life. Because your life becomes more peaceful and wholesome by doing that. And we talked about that. The Bible tells us there are some people that we should not associate with. Amen. And we talked about that. The Bible said, make no friendship with an angry man. A hot-headed person will get you in trouble. Amen. The Bible says a gossip separates close friends. We ought not hang around people who are always tail-bearing and running their mouth and breaking confidences and telling everybody's business. The Bible warns us about that. The Bible warns us about immoral people, those that are sexually immoral, that we should not associate with those who are actively living an immoral lifestyle. Now, I'm not talking about someone who had a failure and they've repented and they're walking with the Lord now. We're talking not about, about the past, but about the present. If there's somebody who's actively pursuing a life of sin, you would be smart to distance yourself from them until they make a course correction in their lives. Amen? Now, when they change and they get back on the right road, bring them back in. There's nothing wrong with that. The Bible urges us to restore people to our fellowship and to our friendship who are restored to the Lord. Amen? Amen. But for the present tense, if you've got somebody who's just acting the fool, you might want to stay away from them lest their life crash into your life. It's dangerous. And so over and over the Bible warns us about that. But then the Bible now also tells us who we ought to add to our friend list. And last week we talked about the friend list. Who do I need in my life? And we looked at the life of David. And we learned that David had three friends that made him the man he became. One was Samuel. And Samuel called him up. Say, called him up. You need friends who see the good and the potential and the destiny in you, and they call you up to a higher place. 
You don't need people who are always speaking words of discouragement and doubt and unbelief and telling you you can't do it or you won't amount to anything. Those people are on the off list, amen? You need people in your life who will speak to you words of faith and prophetic words over your life that you are God's child and that He has a destiny and a plan for you and that you're coming up and you're not going down. You need people who encourage you like that. The second one was a guy named Jonathan. And Jonathan called him out. Jonathan called him out. Say, called him out. He called him out of fear and discouragement and doubt and unbelief. When he was in a cave hiding, Jonathan called him out. And the Bible says he strengthened his hand in God. You need people in your life when you're going through a great storm and a trial who will walk into your storm with you, encourage you, remind you of God's promises, pray for you, and tell you that they're going to be with you all the way through it till you come to the end of the storm. You need friends like Jonathan who call you out of your discouragement. And then finally he had a friend named Nathan who when he fell into sin went and called him down from his disobedience. They called him down. You need some friends who love you enough to tell you that your breath stinks, to tell you that you're living in sin, to tell you that, the, what, that what you're doing is not going to get you where you want to end up. Friends who will love you enough to confront you about your life. Amen? We all need some Nathans in our life who love us enough to get in our business, not because they're nosy, but because they care. And they don't talk about us, but they come and talk to us straight on, and they tell us what we need to hear. Thank God for a friend who's willing to risk the relationship to be honest with us. You need friends like that, amen? Well, today we're going to talk about growth groups, amen? Not only do you need a friend individually, you need a group of friends. You need a circle of friends. David didn't just have this, these three individual friends. David had a whole cave full of friends, amen? It was at Adjulam's cave that David met, and the Bible said the people that were broke, busted, and disgusted came to him, and they joined him in that cave. And he, he turned those men, ragtag men, into an army who were able to win and, bring, and get victory over their enemies, amen? I want to tell you, I think Adullam's cave is a picture of the church of Jesus, amen? Christ, our heavenly David, calls to himself those who've been through the storms and the trials of life, those who have scars and wounds, those who, are, who don't have it all together, those who have great bad history and who didn't always bat a thousand. He calls us in with him and says, come and let me form you into a community that can win victory over your enemy today. That's what the church is, amen? Well, I want to tell you today, you ought to be part of a group like that. And we're going to talk about it in Romans 15. Christianity is a team sport, not a solo event, amen? Say that with me. Christianity is a team sport, not a solo event. The New Testament knows nothing of a churchless Christian. Amen. Oh, pastor, I can be a Christian and not go to church. You can't be a New Testament Christian and not go to church because you can't find me a New Testament Christian that didn't go to church unless he was locked up in jail or nailed to a cross. Amen. Amen. The only people in the New Testament who weren't going to church were the people who couldn't get to church. Amen. Amen. Now, if you're providentially hindered or you're homebound or you're sick, that's one thing. You're still part of the church, amen? And we may have to make some accommodations and bring the church to you instead of you coming to the church. But if I'm able, I ought to be in God's house, amen? The Bible says, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but let us do so all the more as we see the day of the Lord's return approaching, amen? Amen. Christianity is, not a, is a team sport. It's not a solo event. A Christian without a church is about as much good as a soldier without a platoon or a tuba player without a band or a quarterback without a team. Amen? There's quite too many Colin Kaepernick Christians in the, in the world today. Amen. I'm a quarterback. Who do you play for? Amen. Who do you play for? What team are you on? You need to be part of a team today. Are you? Are you part of a church? Are you folded into a body of believers? Is there a group of people that you call home? Is there a group of friends that do life with you and walk the road with you who go looking for you when you go missing? 100 times in the New Testament, there is a command given, and the end of that command is a little word in the Greek that means one another. Say one another. Over and over we find these commands. Love one another, forgive one another, accept one another, edify one another. Over and over we're given these commands and they all end with one another. I want to tell you, you can't obey any of those 100 commands by yourself. 
A command that ends with one another requires relationship. It requires that we be part of a group of people with whom we do life. Amen? You need that in your life. Over and over we find it. At the end of the book of Romans, there are several of these little phrases. And uh, years ago, my old New Testament professor, Dr. Bill Urey, he pointed out to me four of these in the end of Romans. And I saw them and I thought, wow, look at that. If that doesn't describe the Christian life, I don't know what does. I've never gotten over these four little phrases. And I want to unpack them today. And at the end of the service, we're going to give you an opportunity to sign up to be part of a group like I'm describing today that are going to do these four things in the life of each believer here, if you'll let them. Romans 15, you found it? All right, look at verse 1 with me. When we then, who are strong, ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. Therefore receive one another, just as Christ also received us, to the glory of God. We begin with verse 7 there, that we are to, he says, read it with me, verse 7, therefore receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. The first command in the Bible that we're given about one another in this passage is to accept one another. Say it with me, accept one another. It begins right there. If we're going to be in relationship with one another, we're going to have to accept one another. We're going to have to be willing to receive one another into, into each other's lives just as we are. Amen? To be accepting of one another. It means more than just tolerating one another. That's often what accept means. Well, I guess I'll accept it if I have to, right? You act like somebody just handed you a cafeteria lunch on mystery meat day at school. Well, I'll accept it. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. I'm going to do it, but I'm not going to like it. No, that is not what this word is implying. It's not just I'm going to tolerate you or I'm going to put up with you or like we often did our little brother or little sister when we were kids, right? I'll try not to smack you one before the day's over. No, no, no. It doesn't mean that. To accept one another is something much deeper than that. The, the, the idea here is rooted in the Old Testament idea of being compassionate. Say compassionate. To be compassionate to one another. It means we receive one another. We accept one another. I feel your pain in my heart. In fact, that's what compassion means. It's two words. Passion is literally the idea of pain or suffering, to suffer. And C-O-M on the front means with. To be compassionate means to suffer with somebody. Amen. Uh, David Jeremiah said it this way. Compassion means your pain in my heart. Your pain in my heart. I feel what you're going through. I am empathetic and, if possible, sympathetic with your experience. We receive one another. We are compassionate to one another. The word picture in the Old Testament of compassion is that of a womb-like heart. Hebrew is a very pictorial language. And the word for, in, 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 for compassion in Hebrew is this idea of having a heart that is like a womb where you receive someone and you carry and you nurture someone in your own heart. That's what the Bible is calling us to do. To draw someone into the circle of your life, to bring them into your heart, that is what compassion means. We often view God as holding us at, a, at arm's length until we measure up. Many of us grew up with this picture of God. We feel like God is this mean guy in heaven who has a big stick and he's going to crack us every time we do wrong. He's just waiting on a chance to get even with us for having sinned against him and broken his law. That is the view that many of us grew up with, and I don't know where we got it. Sadly, a couple of us got it in church, I have to say. But I want to tell you, that is not the way the Bible views God. I've even heard people preach salvation in such a way that would make God sound like that. That's not a biblical view of salvation. 
Oh, God was so angry at us that Jesus had to come and die for us to save us from a mean old angry God. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible didn't say God so hated the world that he killed his son. The Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his son. God saw what our sin was doing to us. God saw that our sin had separated us from him. God saw that our sin was destroying and hollowing out our lives. God saw that our sin had wedged in between us and him, the only true source of life, and to rescue us from what sin was doing to us. God gave his son because he loved us and wanted to restore us to himself. That's the message of the gospel. Amen. And the Bible teaches us that God receives us whenever we trust in Jesus. Amen. We are brought into the family of God not when we clean up our lives, but when we trust Jesus and we turn away from our old life of sin and say, God, forgive me. I believe the cross and the blood was enough for my forgiveness. Will you bring me into your family? We are received into the family of God not because we do better, but because we trust Jesus. Amen. We receive the gift of salvation. The Bible tells us this. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying this. God doesn't say when you measure up, I'll receive you. God says, I'll receive you the moment you trust in my son, and then we'll work on cleaning you up. God justifies us before he sanctifies us. Say that with me. God justifies us before he sanctifies us. Years ago, this was a debate in the church, and the Catholic Church for many years taught God sanctifies us, and then at the end, you'll, He'll justify you. In other words, if you'll clean up your life and you're clean enough, then when you die, you'll go to heaven. But Protestants don't believe that. We believe just the opposite. No, God marks me as forgiven, and He adopts me into His family the moment that I trust in Christ. And then he begins the work of making me fit into that family. The Christian life is much like an adoption. I'll never forget when we brought Abigail home to live with us. She did not speak a word of English. She did not know the language. She did not know the culture. She did not know the customs. Even our, our listen, the letters on our signs didn't look anything like where Abigail came from. The, the plant life in our country doesn't look like Korea where she came from the food was nothing like where she came from everything was different amen and she had to begin making but listen the moment I brought her home the moment we landed here she was a U.S. citizen and she was my daughter and she was part of our family she was justified she was adopted she was in the family she was ours now, at the, time, at the moment, though, she didn't look like us and probably won't ever look a lot like us around this part of her face, right? I can't fix that for her or me, amen? But she didn't talk like us, eat like us, sound like us, act like us. Nothing was the same. She had to begin this process of growing into a new family. She had to accommodate and adjust and, and become a Blaylock, Amen? She had to change. She had to become an American. She had all these changes had to happen. But listen to me. Those, we, didn't, we didn't hold up a bar and say, you know, whenever you get to this place, whenever you master these skills, we will adopt you and bring you into our family. We didn't say, we're going to bring you home for a six-month trial period, and if you're doing well, we'll adopt you, and if you're not, we're going to send you back. No, we didn't do that. We said, you belong to us. It's over. You are ours, and that ship has sailed or that plane has flown, I should say. Amen? You're in the family. You belong to us. And now we've got to help you make the adjustments in order to live in this family. Amen? I got so tickled we went to the General Assembly two years ago and there was someone there who looked at her and just assumed because of her, her features that she was an international child who belonged to somebody. And so they walked around for two days and didn't speak to her because they didn't think she spoke English. Amen? And finally, the third day or so, she walked up to somebody and she pulled on their coattail. They were passing out refreshments. And she looked up and smiled at them and said in her beautiful southern Alabama accent, My mama lets me drink Coke. <laughs> and they went, Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! You know, she sounds like South Alabama, not South Korea. Yes, yes. Why? Because she's a South Alabaman now. That, that's who she is, amen? But she had to become that. She had to accommodate to that. 
That is the picture in the Bible of sanctification. God doesn't hold up the bar and say, when you hit the bar, I'll receive you. He says, I've received you into the family the moment you trusted in Jesus. But now you're in the family, and you've got to learn how to live in the family. And so you've got to learn how to talk different. And you've got to learn how to treat people different. And you've got to learn how to live different. And your sexual ethics have got to be different. And everything's got to be different because our family doesn't do it like the world does it. Amen? But God changes me from the security of the family. Say that with me. God changes me from the security of the family. Amen. I am in a safe place and God accepts me and then starts working on me, not the other way around. Aren't you thankful for that? Amen. Amen. I don't have to earn my way into the family. I don't have to hit the bar to get in. I'm in by the grace of God. Amen. Now, I've got to grow into that and change and become what I'm supposed to be. Absolutely. Amen. We do. But God justifies us before he sanctifies us. Real change begins when unconditional love is shown. Listen, you will change for love when you won't change for rules. You'll do for love what you'll never do for legalism. Amen. And when you know God loves you, you want to live a life that honors him and pleases him. When you're secure in his love. Listen, real change begins there. That doesn't mean that your friends are going to let you stay the way you are. That wouldn't be love. God changes my character from within the security of his family. If we're going to be used of God to help others grow, we've got to be like God and accept other people even though they have clay feet all the way up to their neck. You hear me? We have to accept one another, warts and all. We have to accept one another with our good and the, take the good and the bad together, the flaws and the flourishes. We've got to take both, and we have to accept one another and receive one another just as Christ received us to the glory of God. Where'd you get that from? That Bible verse right there. Receive one another just as Christ received us to the glory of God. Step one is accept one another. Say it with me. Accept one another. Amen. Number two is we are to edify one another. Amen. We edify one another. Edify means to build up. And so the Bible tells us this. A chapter earlier, Romans 14, he says, Therefore let us pursue the things which make for peace, the things by which we may edify one another. Amen. It begins by being at peace with one another. You'll never build anybody up until you have made peace with them. Some of us, the reason we, there's no encouragement, the reason there's no change in our families is because there's no peace in our families. Amen? Some of us, for some reason, believe that the other person will change if we just keep enough torment stirred up around our house. Ladies, how's that working for you? Don't look at your husband. Look straight ahead at me. Amen? How far is the henpecking getting you? It doesn't work, does it? No, it doesn't, and it's never going to. If you will be at peace and you will build him up, then you'll see a change. Amen. I want to tell you, you can encourage your husband into things that you can never uh, henpeck him into. Amen. Amen. You don't walk up and say, I can't believe you still haven't done that. I, I don't know how long it's going to take you to do that. Why haven't you done that? I tell you what, you're just sorry, no good fella, and any fella worth his salt would have already had that done by now. No, 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 that won't work. That won't work. No, walk up and put your arm around him, bat your beautiful eyes and say, baby. Baby, you know I would love to see that done, but I just can't do it. You know, I can't operate that drill, and I can't do this with that piece of machinery, and I'm scared to get up on that ladder. I just really can't do that, but you know what? You're so big and strong, and, and I just love you, and, and it would mean the world to me if you would just take care of this for me. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Wink, wink. Kiss him on the cheek, and tell him, I tell you what, I'll have a ham sandwich made when you're done with that. Amen? I'll, the ladder will come out of the, of the garage. Amen? Yeah. <laughs> Edify, build up, encourage. You'll get more flies, catch more flies with honey than you will with vinegar. Amen. Amen. We ought to build one another up. This happens in the house.
do. We begin to be at peace with one another. Sooner or later, you'll get attacked. How you respond means everything. To edify, to build up. That's where we get our word edifice from. It's building up a building. The Bible says in Ephesians 4 and 29, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. To edify means to encourage, to build up. We talked about Jonathan last week encouraging David and strengthening his hand in God. We need people who will speak life into us. Bill Urey said we must be a builder who can encourage without manipulation. Now be careful, ladies. Don't abuse it. Amen. Don't try to manipulate with it. But you'll go a long way if you'll encourage him and call him up and call out the good things in him. Amen. It helps. It works with your children too. It works with your kids. Call out the good things in them. Summon them. Call them up. Amen. Dad, don't fuss and say, I can't believe you'd ever do this so-and-so. Walk over and put your hand on that young man's shoulder and say to him, you know what? You're becoming a man now. You're, you're as tall as I am. And it won't be long. You'll be out on your own. And I'm not calling you out here to do this because I can't do it or because I'm too lazy to do it. I'm calling you out here because one day you're going to be a dad and one day you're going to be a husband and your wife's going to need you to do this. And I want you to come out here and I want to show you how to do this because one day you're going to have to do this. Will you come help me? Or, or better yet, dad, ask him. Say, you know what? I've got a project and son, I need your help. Dad needs my help? You kidding me? Dad needs my Yeah, I need your help. Will you come help me with this? I want to tell you, all of a sudden, you'll see something come out of your children and they'll bow up and go, wow, dad, dad needs me to help him. Yeah. They'll get out there and they'll get after it. Amen? Amen. If not, tell them you're going to put, cut his allowance or take his phone. Amen? Whatever, <laughs> Whatever works. But start with encouragement. Lead by building up. Amen? Edify one another. Say edify. Number three, we are to honor one another. Romans 12, 10. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. The Greek word means to serve, to honor, to prefer. The context of Romans 12 is the body of Christ. You and I are part of the community called the body of Christ. That's what the church is. We don't exist for ourselves. We exist for the good of the body. Each of us exists for the whole. This attitude of, of competition, we must get beyond that. Catherine Booth, was the her husband was the founder of the Salvation Army, and she used to whisper into the ears of her children, Baby, you were not sent here for yourself. The world is waiting for you. Can I tell you today, the church is waiting for you. The community is waiting for you. This world needs what God has placed inside of you, and they need you to step up and function in your gift and your calling and do what you can do to make the world a better place. And what you can do is you can find a need and meet it. You can find someone to serve. You can prefer your brother. You can reach out and do that. This attitude is the opposite of competition. We must view every member of the body as valuable. Even those that, whose personality we may dislike, even those who sometimes act immaturely, even those that we may disagree with about lesser issues. Amen. It is a very narrow person who has to agree with someone 100% of the time in order to be in relationship with them. Let me give you a news flash today. If somebody agrees with you 90% of the time, that person is your friend, not your enemy. Hmm. Yeah. If they agree with you on most things, but they disagree with you about a few things, don't write them off. <laughs> they are in your corner. They are for you. Walk with them. Don't make the requirement that you have to be just like everybody. Unity is not uniformity. Amen? I don't have to be just like you. We have to agree on the essentials, and we have to give one another the liberty to be adults and make our own mind up about certain things as well. Have you ever been to uh, the Smoky Mountains and seen polished stones? You know what I'm talking about? I think John's got a picture of those. My kids used to always love these things, and they charge you about $3 a piece for them <laughs> when you go to the mountains, right? Amen. You look at those, and they're beautiful. Have you seen those? Yeah, you go up there, and all the kids want to come back with a bag full of them, right? These are polished stones or tumbled stones, and I began to look and thought, how do they make these things, and why are they worth $3 a bag? Amen. Well, they take these rocks that have these minerals and beautiful strips in them, and they look just like ordinary stones whenever they gather them. But they take them and they put them in this little machine. They put them in a rock polishing machine. And it's this round cylinder, and they drop a bag full in there, and they close the lid on that thing. And it puts pressure, and it applies heat. 
And then it begins to turn like this. It begins to turn in a circle. The bottom goes one way and the top goes the other. And it rotates those stones. And those stones begin to bump up against each other. And they begin to hit one another. And the pressure and the heat and the motion knock the rough edges off. It shakes the dust loose. And it polishes them and makes them smooth and shiny. And after a few hours in that rock polishing machine, they open the lid and they go from being ordinary looking rocks to $3 a bag polished stones that they sell to your kids at every gas station in the Smoky Mountains. Amen? Yes. Can I tell you something? God does that to us. And he uses relationships to do it. God turns us into polished stones. He shines us up so we reflect the image of Jesus. He removes the rough edges of our personality. He takes out the tough spots in our character to make us more like Christ. It happens in marriage, amen? God puts two of you together and he closes the lid. <laughs> yes, you say, I do. He slams the lid down and then he turns on the heat and puts on the pressure, amen? Yes, the two become one. and you year and a half trying to figure out which one, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Marriage does that. It's a pressure cooker. It's supposed to be. Why? Because God's trying to soften you up. That's why. God's got some rough edges he's trying to get to in both of you, and he puts you together in relationship, and you smooth one another's rough edges out. It happens when you have children, amen? Amen. Oh, you just thought it was bad when you got married. Then you had children, right? And God flipped you over and started on the other side of your character. Amen? Yeah. Well, let me tell you something. Husband, wife, if you're tired of working on your spouse all alone, sign them up for a small group. We can help. Amen? Yeah. <laughs> God brings us in relationship with other Christians and puts us in there and in the church and in community and in groups and in classes. And we begin to see ourselves and God exposes things about us and God teaches us His Word. And other people begin to speak into our lives and change begins to happen. Why? Because we accept one another like we are and we begin to encourage and build one another up and urge one another on in God. And then we begin to serve one another and honor one another and lovingly deal with the things that need to grow and change. Jesus did that for us. He washed dirty feet even though he was the leader of his group. And we're called to do that too. We must be a servant who can kneel without ulterior motives. And lastly, we are to admonish one another. Say that with me. Admonish one another. Romans 15 and 14. Now I'm confident, Paul says, concerning you, my brethren, that you're full of goodness, filled with knowledge, able to admonish one another. Now, some of you know what admonish means. Some of you have been admonished before. Amen. Admonish is what the principal did to you in the headmaster's office. Amen. <laughs> they admonished you to not cause trouble anymore. The word literally is to warn or to give a stern correction to somebody. It is to call somebody out. This is what Nathan did for David that we talked about last week. He admonished him. Our English word carries that idea. Amen. Remember the Jewish proverb, a friend is one who warns. Say that with me. A friend is one who warns. We warn one another. The biblical roots, uh, warning, correcting, it's a little deeper though. In the Old Testament, this carries the idea, literally, it's the work of a priest. And what the priest does is he doesn't just preach to the people about God, but he goes before God on behalf of the people. In other words, the relationship is not one-sided. Not only does he carry God to the people, but he carries the people to God in prayer. He carries his people, and that's why he wants them to change. The reason the priest wants the people to change is because he wants God to be pleased with his people. And so if he speaks to his people about something, it's on behalf of God. It's not because he's personally got an axe to grind. It's because he's delivering the word of God. That's the picture in the Old Testament. In other words, if I speak into your life a word of correction or I call you out about something, it's because I know that you don't belong to me. You belong to the Lord. And I want to make sure you are aware of what he expects of you before you stand before him one day. But we bear one another in our heart. We care deeply for one another. And we love one another enough to bear with one another until we change and we grow. To admonish biblically is to bear another person in your own soul. To bear another person in your own soul. It's the work of a priest. Admonishing includes correcting though. 
We don't speak about one another, we speak to one another. In the church, God tells us not to go talk to everybody else about what somebody's doing wrong, but to go to the person who's messing up and speak to them one-on-one. And if they change, wonderful, you stop right there. And if they don't, you take one other believer with you and you go and address it. And then you bring in the leadership. And then finally, it may have to come before the whole body. But we start by addressing that person and then getting some help addressing that person. And we hope that they'll turn around today. Admonishing includes correcting. But we speak to one another, not about one another. Listen, it doesn't mean we stay in an abusive relationship. But it does mean we don't give up on one another easily. Do you hear me? We don't give up on one another easily. Christians ought not shoot their wounded. And Christians ought not abandon one another whenever one of them falls into sin. Did you hear me? We ought not abandon one another when someone from our community falls into sin. The Bible is very clear about that. Uh, to, To discipline someone to the point where they're excluded is the last resort, not the first resort. The first resort is we go and we confront lovingly and we address and we seek to restore. But even if it comes to the point where the church says, we're going to have to ask you to step out, the goal even of that is that they would see, oh my, I've really stepped in it here and I need to fix this. And then they come back again into the life of the body. That's what the Bible says. I want to tell you today, every Christian needs to be part of a group that loves them enough. That whenever they mess up, they won't write them off, but they will call them out. And they will go after them, and they will love them, and they will seek their restoration. Every Christian needs to be part of a group like that. Every Christian needs to be part of a group where you can call somebody and and say, I need some help in dealing with this person, and you can. Why do you need to be in a small group? Because you need the loving accountability that a group brings. I will never forget the little group of friends I was part of in Kosciuszko, Mississippi, and I watched how that group functioned. On one occasion, we had a member of that group, a guy in our group who met, and he was having trouble. He was having trouble in his marriage. He was doing some things he had no business doing. He was about to make a wreck out of things. We didn't know anything was going on. His wife picked up the phone and called the leader of our group and said, I want you to know that this is going on, and my husband is dealing with this issue, and he won't tell you about it, and I've told him that I'm going to call you because I can't fix this. He won't listen to me, and I need some help dealing with him. He called, they called our group. Our group, a couple of us, took him out for coffee, sat him down and said, we want you to know, and you probably already know that your wife has contacted us, and we've been made aware that this is going on in your life. Man, we love you. We don't want to see you slip and fall. We don't want to see your marriage in. We don't want to see your family destroyed. We love you. We're calling you out on this. Listen, man, you cannot do this. You can't continue down this road. We're not going to let you do this. Now, what is our plan for getting you out of this mess that you've gotten yourself into? What can we do to help you? Before we get up from this table today, what is the next step that we're going to take in order to make sure that this gets fixed? And then we called her wife back, called his wife back and said, here's what we've agreed on. Is this agreeable to you? Here's the plan of action. These are the steps we're going to take to see him restored and be the man that we know he can be and that he's supposed to be for your family. Are you good with that? Yes, absolutely. All right, if at any point need us, if at any point he's not willing to do this, you call us. And we're going to help you. And we're going we're gonna to call him in again. And we're going to deal with this. But we're going to help him grow. Can I tell you what? He took the help. And God rescued him. And through loving accountability and the friendship of fellow Christians, he is still with his wife. And he's still with his family. And he's still walking with the Lord. And he's still an active part of his congregation. That could have gone south so fast. Had it not been for a group of people who kept it quiet and discreet but loved enough to admonish one another. Say it with me. Admonish one another. Call one another out when you need to do that. All right, I'm closing with this today. Our ushers are coming right now in just a moment. They're going to get ready and, uh, and, and give you an opportunity to do something today. Listen, the only way a believer is ever healed, the only way we ever grow is in relationship with other believers. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I urge you today to come to Jesus just as you are. You're never going to get good enough to come to God. You don't have to get clean before you take a bath. You take a bath to get clean. If you want your life to change, quit saying, I'll get in church and I'll give my heart to the Lord once I get the knots out of my rope. No, come to Jesus and he'll help you untie all the knots. Come to Jesus just like you are. Come to Jesus. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, 
bruised and broken by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. I will rise and go to Jesus. That's what you have to do. Come to Jesus just as you are today. Weary, broken, wounded, come like you are. Jesus will receive you, and he'll begin the work of changing you. If you're a believer today, God has accepted you into his family. You've been justified. But God wants to sanctify you. He wants to purify your life. He wants you to grow. He wants you to change. And he wants to lovingly help you in that process. And the greatest gift he's given us in that is one another. Say one another. So today, I want to offer you an opportunity today. We're going to start meeting on the first and third Sunday nights of every month. In, in, in growth groups all over the Mobile area. Now, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask, go ahead and put that graphic up, John, if we got that, that little picture there, the map or whatever we've got for this. Um, they're going to bring you a little handout right now, and it's got on the, back of, on the back side of that a map and a list of groups, and on the other side it's got an opportunity for you to fill out which groups you might want to be part of. Go ahead, guys, and move among our congregation and give them a copy of this paper. Our altar call is a very strange one today. I don't want you to come down here and cry. I want you to take a pen and sign your name on this piece of paper. Thank you, Tony. And I want you to sign up to be part of a group of people who will help you walk with the Lord. If you look up there, one side has this. Write down three locations in order for the group that you would like to join. And on the back side of it is a map. And on that map is a list of our eight home groups that we're going to be beginning on Super Bowl Sunday night, the first Sunday night of February. Amen? We're going to begin those groups meeting in homes. They're scattered around the Mobile area. There's a cluster of them that are out uh, around Sims. There's, some of them are north of Moffitt. Some of them are south of Moffitt. Some of them are, one is up in uh, Sarah Land, one is in Chickasaw, two are out in West Mobile area. Uh, now, one of them is a singles group, and it is for singles only. Number seven Larry and Karen's group is strictly for our single-minded at the Hill group. And they're going to continue to meet. They're going to join in with us on this. But that group is for singles. You're welcome to go to that if you're single. I didn't say if you wish you were single. I said if you are single. Amen. Amen. You can join, but we need a death certificate or some divorce papers. Right, Karen? I mean, we, need, we won't make you show your card. I'm just kidding. But you need to be single to be in that group. The other seven groups are open, however, and we want you to join one. Now, Pastor, how does this work? Let me explain. You write down, number one, if I could pick any group on this list, this is the group that would be my first choice. But I also want you to give me a second and even a third choice. Why? Because our goal is twofold. Number one, we want these groups to be diverse across age brackets. We don't want all of our seniors in one group and all of our college age in one group and all of our young adults in one group. We don't want that. We want these groups to be mixed the age lines because we believe that is biblical. Listen, every other time we meet in, in church, we are divided by age group. Do you know that? Have you noticed that? Sunday school, we're divided by age bracket. Wednesday night, we're divided by age bracket. Even in here, one, the kids are down there, we're up here, and sometimes our junior high kids are out in the service twice a month. We're divided by age bracket. I want us to have a time where older and younger are meeting together in the same living room and they're talking about life together. Because older people can contribute something into the life of a young person that they won't get any other way. Let me tell you something, life's too short for you, have to make, to, for you to have to make all your own mistakes, Amen. You don't want to learn everything by experience. Amen. <laughs> You'll look like five miles of bad road if you do that. Amen. You want to learn from somebody else's experience once in a while. And so if you get in a room of people who've been through life, they can show you where some of the potholes are so you don't hit them. You need to be part of a group that is mixed across the age lines. Likewise, our younger people can teach our older people something. Some of you need to take your cell phone and show them how to put it on silent. Amen. 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 Some of you need, need yeah, I, I'm just kidding. Some of you are struggling to connect with your grandchildren. Some of you are struggling to understand why your kids think or feel a certain way. I want to tell you something. If an older family can get in there with one of these younger families, you may be amazed at what you learn about the upcoming generation. It'll help you understand how they think and why they feel the way they do. You want to be part of a group that is mixed across the age brackets, and we want you to be part of a group like that. Our second motive is this. We want the groups to remain relatively small. I would love for these groups to be 10 or 12 people in a group. I would love for them to, Lord have mercy, no more than 15 uh, or 16 in a group. 
If we have to, we may even add a couple groups to the mix. If we have to, I've got some leaders on standby that'll step up. If we need to add some groups, we can do that. But we want to keep them small enough that they can be intimate because these groups are about discussion. They're about life application. We meet together in life groups on Sundays and Wednesdays for someone to teach God's Word. And we care about our groups and we go visit one another and check on each other. These groups are not for lecturing or teaching. These groups are not for worship and preaching. These groups are a place where we can come together and talk about how we take what God's Word said and get it into our shoe leather Monday through Friday. These groups are about how do we live what we've already learned. These groups are a place for us to be honest about the struggle of living the Christian life, to share with one another, to talk about practical ways we can actually do what God said that we ought to be doing. How do you handle that? It's going to be a wonderful opportunity. So we want the group to be small enough where you can ask questions and give your opinion, where you can share your experience, and where you can pray for one another and help one another do life together. Where you can encourage one another and accept one another and honor one another and serve one another and admonish one another in the moments that you have to. These groups are designed for that reason. Amen? I want you to be part of one of those. Our ushers are giving you the enrollment cards. You see a map there. I want to introduce our leaders to you real quick. I want to have them stand as, um, as I call their names for you. Amen? Several of these groups are going to be meeting around town. Uh, Mike and Sarah Coley. Amen? Stand up, Mike and Sarah. Mike and Sarah, give them a hand. Amen? Amen. Remain standing with us. Mike and Sarah, there you see where they are on the map out in that Sims area. All right. Close to them, you've got Paul and Donna Roberts, right? Stand up, Paul and Donna. There they are, right over here. Give Paul and Donna a hand. Amen. Now, there's probably enough in Paul and Donna's neighborhood to fill up their group, but we're not going to do it that way, amen, because we want it to be broad and we want it to be a, a good mixture of age brackets, amen. So, but if you're interested in that group, sign up. This is a great group of people, amen, uh, and they're a lot of fun. And So you, look at that one on the map, all right? Just above them, you've got Derek and Lynette Everett. Derek and Lynette, stand up. Derek's in the sound booth. Lynette's right here. Amen. Give them a hand. Amen. They're out off McCrary Road in that, that part of, of the area. Amen. Uh, a little bit further north of them, Tony and Melissa Thomas. Tony's right back here. Melissa's right here. Give them a hand. Amen. 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 So you see that area there, all right? Now, let's jump over a little bit. All the way up in Sarah Land, Mitch and Laura Price. Mitch and Laura, stand up. Give them a hand. Yes. Amen. You want to be part of that group? Sign up. We don't have a lot of groups in Sarah Land. If you want to be in that one, sign up for it, right? Slot you there. You say, well, I can't, if I can't quite get in that one. That's okay. There's another one very close to you. Jimmy and Sharon Hansen's group is down in Chickasaw. Here's Sharon right here. Jimmy's working. Amen. Amen. Wonderful group. All right. Down in Westmobile, we've got the single-minded at the Hill group, Larry and Karen. Y'all, most of you know them. Amen. If you are new to the singles ministry, this is a great couple to meet. They can plug you in and help you get involved here in the life of the church. Then Aaron and Alicia Miller. Stand up, Aaron and Alicia. They're going to be meeting at my house, probably. Aaron and Alicia. Amen. Over in Westmobile, probably meeting at my house, maybe at Jack and Sandra's. We'll work out the details on that, depending on how many we have. But Aaron and Alicia will be leading a group in Westmobile. We may have a couple groups in Westmobile if there's a lot of demand and requests for that. We'll map that. So these are going to be the folks. And listen, they have spent the last six months in my living room on Sunday nights. We have prayed for you. We have studied hard how to effectively lead and structure these groups. We've talked about everything from how to manage conflict to how to ask good questions to how to, you know, manage child care, all of that. We've talked about all of that, and we've dealt with that. We're going to meet again tonight for our final meeting. They have worked hard to get ready for you. And more importantly, every time we've met, we have fallen on our knees, and we have cried out to the Lord, and we have asked God for these groups to be a blessing in the life of this church. Listen, I love you, and I believe with all my heart that being part of a group like this can help you in 2019 reach a place in the Lord you've never reached in your spiritual development. It can. But you've got to be willing to let someone into, the, into your life and allow them to bring you into theirs and get honest about where you are and let the Lord help you grow in your faith. Are you serious? 
Pastor, I want to grow this year. Well, what are you going to do different than last year? Here's something different that you can do. Amen? Amen. Give our leaders a hand one more time as they're seated today. Amen? Thank you, guys. Thank you. Pastor Chad comes, and we prepare to close the service today. He's going to come and play for us. I want us to pray, and I want you to take a moment, and I want you to fill out that card. You can hand it back to one of our ushers. You can bring it to the connection desk. You can bring it to the pastor's table in the foyer. What I don't want you to do with it is I don't want you just to take it home and stick it in your Bible and forget about it. Go ahead and make up your mind. I'm going to do this. First and third Sunday nights, I'm going to drive to someone's house, and from 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock, I'm going to invest in growing in my faith in Christ. And I, Well, Pastor, I don't need this. Well, somebody else needs you. So even if you don't think you need it, somebody needs what you have to offer. So don't go for you. Go for them. Amen. Amen. Go for them. Go to be a help. Go to support. Go to strengthen. I want you to look over that list. I want you to pray with me. And I want you to let the Lord lead you. And tonight I'm going to meet with these groups and we're going to do our best to give you your first choice. If we can, we may have to do a little shuffling. Please bear with us on that. We'll try to get you as close as we can. Amen. We'll try not to put somebody who lives in Theodore up in a Saraland group or something like that, okay? Uh, we'll try to help as much as we can. But I want you to be a part of this group. Life changes when we allow other people to invest in us and when we invest in them. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray today that God, you'd bless our people today. Some of our people are so excited about this and they've been waiting on this a long time. Others in the room are a little anxious and nervous about doing something like this and trying something like this. But Lord, I pray today that you would help them to cross the chicken line and do something different in 2019 that would help them grow spiritually. Lord, I pray for those today who may just feel stuck. They just feel stagnated in their walk with God. They feel like they've stopped growing, that their Christian life has lost its freshness, that their walk with God has grown rather dull and predictable. Lord, they're still reading the Bible and praying, and they're still coming to church, but they, they just feel like it isn't connecting. They aren't gaining traction. They aren't getting any ground. Lord, I pray today that you would help them to see that, Lord, this can be the very thing you use to help revitalize and refresh them spiritually in this next season of life. Lord, call them up. Call us to be part of what you're doing in the life of our church. Lord, lead us as we select the group and the leaders and the location that you'll call us to be part of and help us to commit today to do what this message said, to accept one another just as Christ has accepted us, to build one another up and to be an encouragement to our fellow believers by meeting with them regularly. Lord, to serve one another, to honor one another, to prefer one another. And finally, when we have to, to love one another enough to go after each other when we begin to slip and stumble and fall and to reach and grab them and pull them back into the safety of the Christian community. Lord, we ask you to help us. Lord, I pray today for the one in this room whose heart was stirred a few moments ago when I talked about how Jesus accepts us before he changes us, how that we're justified before we're sanctified, how that God receives us into the family, adopts us, and then teaches us how to live in his family. Lord, I pray today for the one in this room who may not be in the family. They, they may not have received Jesus as Savior yet. Father, I pray this morning that you'd stir their heart, you would convict them, you'd wake them up, and you'd plant in them a desire to be saved and right with God. And more than anything in all the world, they would want to be part of your family. They would want to be a child of God. And I pray that today would be the day that they cry out to you and they say, I believe in Jesus, I believe he died for my sin and rose again from the dead. And I'm asking him to forgive me and save me, to bring me into God's family, and to begin the process of teaching me how to live a new life. And I commit my life to him, and I'll follow him as my master, and I'll take him as my savior today, in Jesus' name. Lord, save them. Bring them to yourself, in Jesus' name. Lord, move among us. Let us commit deeply to one another, in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to our podcast at The Hill. We pray that you are blessed by this message. For more information on what's happening at the Hill and to stay connected, visit our website at foresthillcog.org, join our Facebook page, facebook.com slash foresthillcog, or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play Store.